I'm Zooner J5, the cat from outer space. You're trying to tell me that your little pussycat came from another planet in a spacecraft and landed right here on Earth. Earth's a great place, even if life can be pretty hair-raising. Who's flying that plane? Jordan, remember that quick? Uh, this world has become so corrupt. As I'm sitting there with a severed head in my hand, talking to it. Or looking at it, and I'm about to go crazy. Literally, I'm about to go completely flywheel loose and just fall apart. Let's let's not get let's not get into blood and guts, because because that's what you're trying to get into. Come on, fumble butt. Bam, motherfucker! It'll be a miracle if this tape ever is permitted to become knowledge that could spread across the world to even give individuals a chance to know what we have to say. Oh, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly not me. Of course, my name is Adam. Across from me is an international rock superstar. And sitting next to him is a disgusting (laughs) Hitler-haired bum. And of course, that rock star star. is Cody. (laughs) Oh, I am a rock star. (laughs) Just kidding, Cody. I'm talking about Jordan. Jordan, how are you? I'm I'm very well. I'm very sore. He's he's glowing. We'll hear all about it on Wednesday between the bumbles. But Jordan, you fucking nailed it. I want to reiterate that right now. Thank you. Cody, say that too. You nailed it. Thank yep. you, Cody. You're, it's about time you say something I nice to me. I give you one thumbs up. That's oh, fantastic. One. That's you better than zero. One. Yeah. Yeah. Your hair was my favorite part of your show. <laughs> yeah. It was the best part. Yeah, Mo Howard hair easy, was so good. Easy. Ten, and maybe your, maybe your weird Snapchat of a bathroom selfie. That was weird. <laughs> it's fine. With it's the fine. hams? Is that the one? Uh, oh, no. That was Thanksgiving. Oh. No. That was the one where I was kind of like shaking my hips, like I look like a snack today. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Listen, okay. I was feeling myself. I didn't, I didn't think that one was weird. That one just made me horny. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? When I get horny, I feel weird. All right, all right. So it doesn't feel natural. Yeah, don't right. kink shame him, Adam. I, I guess I did, and I will apologize. <laughs> so, uh, the person I apologize to that's not a rock star is Cody. What is up? How's it going, kid? How was uh, your week? It's good. It's great. I got to eat like a gluttonous pig on oh. Thursday. Oof. Still, oh, yeah. Still, still battling that bad boy. But, but it feels good, don't it? Yeah. Uh, Joe, my mother, cooked up a hell of a storm, and it was fucking fantastic. Mm, and you got a new vehicle while you were down there. <laughs> yeah, my uh, current car decided to erupt gas everywhere, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. You know it's bad. R.I.P. Bravada. You know it's bad when somebody has to rush over to you and ask if you need assistance when your car's leaking gas everywhere. Like, as long as you don't, like, light a flame or smoke a cigarette over here, I think we'll be okay, sir. Why don't you just go on back and get the (laughs) hell out of my business? I'm going nuts. I'm going to blow us all up. Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) Yeah. So that was, uh, that was great. Couldn't have the day off, though. No, of course not. No, right? we can't go into that because no. he might listen to That's this. That's right. So. Nick, thank you for picking me up for work. That's right. You're a beast, <laughs> Nick. You're a real beast. <laughs> and Rick, thank you for allowing Cody to have a car. Right, well. right. Yep. Now, uh, Rick is probably the proud owner of a 2000 Oldsmobile Bravada. It's a beautiful truck. It is. Yes. It's a rare truck. The heater doesn't work. The, le- the driver's side... Uh, heated seat doesn't work. 
Um, the w- driver's side window barely works, so it's got a few problems with it. Listen, but. if anybody can nurse her back <laughs> to health, we know who it is. Yeah. Old Ricky boy. Actually, my mother's more of a fan of that car because she thinks it's like a fucking tank. Just goes right through the snow. Nothing can stop it, which is kind of true because it's probably like 10,000 pounds. But... You picked me up for work more than once in that thing because yeah. the Corolla wouldn't oh, make it. Oh, right. Yeah, I forgot when you had that little yeah. thing. Yep. You know what's weird? Sometimes I still see that car and I still think, hey, maybe that's Adam. And mm. then I forget oh, that yeah. you have a pickup. Mm-hmm. Every time I see a green Corolla, I'm like, Adam? Oh, wait. No, no, no. <laughs> He's got the Frontier now. <laughs> People think that Corolla matches me better than the Frontier. I, I can I th- see it. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. good. It's like the wild theme I, color kind of sure. right song. For some reason, like, as big as you are. Whoa, no fat He's I'm not fat shaming. He's a tall, <laughs> well-built man. Like, normally I would think, oh, yeah, that dude drives a pickup. But after getting to know you, it's like, yeah, no, like, a Corolla is definitely more your style. Yeah, that's my you're, speed. you're such a sweet boy. That's right. See? Sweet boys drive Corollas. I was just thinking, maybe I'm, we're shaming a little bit here with Jordan. Remember when we you were turned around on stage and we were laughing, and I asked if Jordan has a concave ass? Yeah. Remember how last week we were talking about yeah. people with concave chest? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was just thinking, I'm like, how would you poop I have- if you have a concave <laughs> ass? Like, would you need a special toilet? So for all the listeners yes. out there... Imagine how flat a piece of plywood is. <laughs> that is my it. ass. <laughs> Which sucks because, like, three months ago, I actually kind of had some semblance of a booty going I don't, on. I don't, I don't know. Like I said, I do squats. You do squats. People, we know everybody do squats. I'm sure you did plenty of them when you were oh, working yeah. out. And it's like, we just, it just can't won't get grow. that back me. No. It just like, I climb fucking scaffolding uh, all day. I think you are going to get one though, because like, yeah. like, like I said to Cody when you were up on yeah. stage, I was like, "Dang, you started to look good." Lot. Yeah, you've trimmed down a lot. Yeah, so you were looking good up there. You're looking svelte. You had a lot of uh, a lot of females who were eyeballing you up Certainly. there, and males, and me, and me, yeah, and Adam. You didn't even you just staring right at him the whole time. Drool dripping <clears throat> out. It's because I'm entertaining when I play. You, you did you are. see those people that kept falling down in the mosh pit because of all that water? <laughs> oh that yeah, was, that was my vaginal fluids and drool. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Okay, I don't get this phenomenon. They're so violent with each other in the pit. They're hitting. They're everything. The second one of them trips, they're all immediately pick him up like he's. Oh a, yeah, he's a little little Be- baby. Because that you just don't fell go over. into the pit with the intention of hurting someone. Yeah, you're just expressing. It's, so it's like yeah, a, you're swinging your shit around to get all of like your anger and shit out. Why are you so angry? Because you're a human. <laughs> yeah, and being alive is shit. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay. I get it, I guess. It just is like I, I've i never seen that before. What? They hit each other, and then they one falls over, yeah. and it's like a Huggies baby. It, They're quickly picking yeah, them no, up. Yeah, no, it's also the unwritten like rule of pits is if someone falls down, that is the main priority is to pick them, them back, back up, up so they don't get is trampled. Is that because of the Rolling Stones stomping that... Remember that concert? Was that them? Where there's a fire and they couldn't get out and then they trampled like half the audience. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or was that White Snake? No, that was The Who. Oh, The Who. That's who it was. It was because like they didn't, 
have it was all the same price in general admission. So like you had to get in early to be on the floor to oh, watch them. Right, right. So people just like stormed the gates, and I think like six fucking people died. Mm. This shit's fucked up. You want to? Hear- but no, because like if you fall down in a pit and people don't give a shit, you're gonna get really fucked up really quick. You need to watch the Phil Donahue about mosh pits. And you will cringe severely because Phil's asking them and they're like, hey, do you like getting hurt in the pit? And they say, yeah, I get hurt. I broke my arm, blah, blah. It seems like they're exaggerating a bit, but I don't know. Is that true? You break arms and shit? Oh, yeah, dude. Like, I've gotten hurt in the pit before. I've busted my nose in pits. It's easy. Chase got, uh... I've had my fucking eyebrow piercing when I had that when I was, like, 18, almost completely ripped out. Chase got his eyebrow split in a pit. Yeah. I like... I'm gonna start, uh, taking your advice. You just molest the man who's touching you. That's what I do. And then he'll leave you alone. Like, if I don't want to be on a pit, like, and I'm... I'm not... I know exactly how to position myself. (laughs) I've been to so many fucking metal shows, Jordan. It's unbelievable. I know how to position myself where I'm not on the outside of the pit, but I'm sort of near it because yeah. I find that's the best acoustically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, yep. So when they're bumping into me, that's fine. I'll push them back once, but when they're, like, targeting me, yeah. I will pull them in and grab as much tit as I possibly fucking can. <laughs> now, this is men only. I would never do this to yeah, a woman. Yeah, okay. Men only. I will grab as much fucking tit as I can and hold him for as long as I possibly can. Without it being too awkward, he's not bouncing into me again. See, I'm going to grab them. I'm going to subtly kiss their neck, blow on their ear a little bit, and then I'm going to send them back in Perfect. There. See, Perfect. Are we promoting sexual assault right now? You know now? what? It's like we we were not trying to be involved, and I'm not trying to be involved because okay. I'm an old fucking man now. So you're deflecting their assault. I'm a, I'm counter assaulting. <laughs> okay, it's a counter. <laughs> Two assaults cancel each other out. Two assaults make a right. All right. <laughs> uh, Dude, yeah, that's no, that's kind of like the game. fucking crowd killers who I fucking hate. Who's the crowd? What is a so crowd killer? So it's like the moshing you saw yesterday, like the slam dancing kind of shit, where people are like throwing. Oh, 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 like the fucking white samurai. Yeah. Yeah. I remember him. But, like, crowd killers intentionally will, like, find people on the edge of the pit or, like, even beyond that and, like, purposely throw fucking, like, elbows at their faces. And drop kicks at them and everything. Yeah, I've seen uh, seen one guy doing that. Like, anytime I see that, like, I will walk over and... I think it's only been twice where I've actually just, like, straight up jacked a motherfucker in the face for that. Jesus. Like, these people are here. They're on the edge of the pit. They obviously don't want to go in and be yeah. involved. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, they're fine holding their arms out, fucking pushing you back in. Don't go after people trying to have a good time and try to cause them yeah, fucking that, bodily good, harm. That's a good point. Why Why can't you just enjoy your own fun? Because they're fucking, they want it. They want to hurt. And yeah. they they think they that think it's people... funny or some shit exactly because okay. they can it's yeah. because whereas they can. you know the normal people who are throwing down like that like thing you do when people are doing that is you just hold your arm straight out and then you know if they feel like their foot hits your arm or your hand or anything they're like oh shit I got too close to the edge I need to move back in and then they do yep. they break off but what if you were like Jackie Chan last night you're spinning kicking like. Yeah. It's hard to control yourself when you're doing 360 no Listen, you're no, telling like, me. I, I've done that kind of shit. Like, 
You know you where you have are. Never you know. spun 360 degrees in well, the Well, not as intense as Sean does, <laughs> but like I've been in those pits going fucking as crazy as those people were. You did a 90 degree so. turn. And fell Maximum. over. Yeah, yeah, you fell over. They picked you up. Your hip was <laughs> shattered. <laughs> Are you talking about uh, yesterday when I jumped off that stage platform, did the dope-ass hardcore kick, and yeah. then my leg just didn't want to support me when I hit? Yeah. You look like that college basketball player whose ankle's just hanging off of there. Oh, that's no. a nasty, nasty compound fracture right there. No, one of my buddies, like, afterwards, he came backstage and shit when we walked off, and he's like, you know, that was super cool, and then I saw you land, and I was like, oh, shit, his leg isn't cooperating. Yeah. Like, yeah. Jordan, do you know you are a 30-year-old man yeah. who does not take care of his body? You should not be jumping <laughs> off the fucking stage like that, all right? So, with all that out of the way, we are 13 minutes in. <laughs> okay. Let us get into the meat and potatoes. Right. Cody, we are doing Mary Ann cotton part, part two. two part one was wonderful yep. and uh one of our most well-received episodes yeah. in modern oh, yeah. history i was uh, i was a little shocked actually me too definitely me too people liked it so hopefully we can uh, deliver in part two so cody what i'm going to ask you to do right now is give us a quick rundown of part one and then fucking fire us right in there all right so uh obviously marianne cotton lived in the 1800s in england horrible time to live her yep. dad was a minor mm. She married a man named William Moore Mowbray, and uh, they had, f- trying to remember, there's so many goddamn kids. There was yeah. a lot of kids. I think she had seven kids with him, all deceased, and she had just remarried a Mr. George Robinson. And they had the he third had Mary Jane yep, with third him. third Mary Jane. Mary he Jane five, version 1.3. Yep. He had five of his own kids. Yep. And if I remember where we left off, all her kids were perished. And three of his kids were perished. So yeah. he has two kids left, and their newest born child had just passed away, dying of convulsions. But we don't have any proof yet that she actually is killing anybody. Okay. It's all speculation, okay? Let's go. So we're going to get to the bottom of it. So we're picking up right after her last child died, as we said. In June of 1869, the following year after Margaret Isabella's death, she gave birth to another child named George Robinson. One may think with her presumably getting away with murdering children and no one batting an eye, this marriage could certainly endure anything, right? Absolutely. <laughs> totally. Unfortunately, the marriage did soon dissolve, but not for the reason so obvious to the rest of us. James Robinson had began to notice Marianne was tampering with his funds. Ooh. Don't fuck with a man's money. <laughs> Marianne had access to the Robinson family wealth, and because James was known for being a bit stingy with his money, constantly depositing his wealth at the local building society, the, the bank system used during this time was quite barbaric, keeping record through old-fashioned passbooks or savings books. If you wanted to either deposit money or withdraw money, it would be recorded in your savings book and needed to match the building society's large leather leather-bound ledger with hand-rolled columns and copper plate entries. Jesus. This sounds like a terrible system. <laughs> this sounds, sounds like Wells Fargo. <laughs> it sounds like some real Game of Thrones, the Iron Bank shit. I was I was like, man, I kind of wish I had a leather-bound ledger. After awesome. the great fire of San Francisco. <laughs> Wells Fargo customers needed access to their money. 
and Wells Fargo uh, let him take it on good faith. Do you think anybody in America can listen to that and be like, yeah, I bet Wells Fargo Wells Fargo is a good company? I, I think hope so. not. Ugh. So, in 1869, James Robinson was informed that his darling wife had been doctoring the entries in his savings book to make it appear that he had more money than he actually did by simply adding a few zeros or changing threes to eights. Devious. <laughs> James, at first, couldn't imagine his wife actually betraying him in such a manner. <laughs> but soon enough, he found out that not only had she stolen 50 pounds from his account, but had also taken out a loan of 60 pounds in his name. Dang. If you're wondering, 50 pounds was worth roughly 2,000 pounds today. Holy, Holy Jesus. To Man, add, fuck this bitch. <laughs> to add a little more fuel to the fire, James soon discovered that she was pawning off items from his house <laughs> and pledged all of his clothes as a security deposit <laughs> against the loan. <laughs> I wish you could still do this. Hell yeah. I would totally be like, take my whole wardrobe. Just give me money. All That's right? collateral. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, come take my clothes, I guess. Worst case scenario, I go to fucking Goodwill. <laughs> As with most normal people, this was enough to eradicate their marriage, but may in the end have saved his life unbeknownst to him. Mm. There would be no record about what Marianne would have done with the money she certainly didn't gamble or drink it away like most would have. Most likely she had opened up her own secret savings account or hid the banknote in case she hit hard times again. Smart. A little insurance mm. fund. A little squirreled yep. away money. Right. Rainy day. It's good to she have that shit. She came from poverty, so she's going to squander that shit. She knows you know? what to do. Yep. yep. Like a lot of this story, so many things we will never know for certain. After the couple split... Marianne left with her son, George Robinson, which was an odd move for her since up to this point, it appeared she wasn't that fond of children. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> what, what would give everybody I, that I impression? <laughs> it's just a weird gut feeling I have, Jordan. Maybe she would attempt to use the child as a bargaining chip to get back with James Robinson. It kind of appears that way because she did end up attempting to return to James' home shortly after they split. But he had already moved away. Perfect. Oh, I wish he, I wish he would have moved away like uh, James Dunn did, where he he moved like three houses down the road. Yes. No, it, it, it was right next door. Yeah, that's right. You know, not <laughs> even three houses down. You'd think in this time period, it might not. You probably just moved over to another village, like just on the road. Sure. Or something. And then it's like a whole new life. Yeah. <laughs> Fear not. Marianne would soon meet an important new ally, one of the most important men in Victorian Sunderland, Edward Backhouse. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 all right. Through a doctor she knew at the Sunderland Infirmary, he hooked her up with a position on the staff of the Ashburn Backhouse's Fine House. Whew, that's a mouthful. It sure is. Then became the chief laundress at a place called the Smyrna House. Still via back house. Okay. Dude, what is with all these and I don't mean to offend anyone in England, but <laughs> so, your ears, tell Ms. us Muffy. about your back house. Close I, your ears, Miss Muffy. Who drove with a position at Ashburn Backhouse's fine house, then Smyrna House <laughs> still via Like, I'm sorry, you don't need all of these words and shit. Be like, yeah, she's fucking working two, for this dude. They're two separate jobs, Jordan. Yeah, you dummy. Yeah, but there's this house 
from you, this house. You wish you were the master <laughs> of laundry. From this family's great house. You wish you were the master of laundry like That's she smear was. in a house. <laughs> yeah. be a back house. <laughs> I'm sorry, you just say, like, she was real good at uh, cleaning clothes. Yeah, she's a beast. At, you know, this dude's house. So It doesn't have to be all this back and forth <laughs> bullshit. Edward Backhouse was a proud member of the Backhouse Quaker banking family. <laughs> he and his wife, Catherine, being older in age and wealth, devoted their assets to charitable organizations. In old school Bill Gates. <laughs> estimated to give over 10,000 pounds, over half a million pounds in modern currency. That Hell was every yeah. year, hey, too. That's pretty good. Yearly. Yearly. Beast. They were nice people. Beast. So... What are Quakers? Oh, boy. Um, George they're, Fox. They're oatmeal makers. <laughs> this is the best here. George Fox, any relation? Uh-oh. Not that I'm aware of. <laughs> Founded the Quaker movement in the mid-17th century. The name may have came from Fox telling a magistrate to tremble or quake at the name of God. That's pretty dope. <laughs> Jordan, read us a little more about the Quakers, would you? I will. In, a, in an English accent, please. Quakers, or friends, are members of a historically Christian group of religious movements formerly known as the Religious Society of Friends. Well, that just sounds nice. <laughs> I call Ross. Society of Friends, or Friends Church. <laughs> members of the various Quaker movements are all generally united in a belief in the ability of each human being to experientially access, quote-unquote, the light within, or quote-unquote, that of God in everyone. Thank you. <sighs> yeah, the uh, I was just curious what Quakers were, so I dug a little deeper into them. It's just like a funny term, yeah. and I wanted to know what they really were. Sure. A I'm going to go eat some Quaker oats. <laughs> They're supposed to be nonviolent, too. Well, it's a society of friends. They watch friends, friends all day like all day. white, like white so women. So no one told you <laughs> life was going to be this way. way. <laughs> <laughs> You're a real Ross right now. Yeah. A funny note was initially the job listing for the laundress was advertised in a Quaker newspaper called the British Friend. <laughs> While initially filed, Marianne managed to squeeze in there eventually. Mm. The, Sim the Smyrna House was actually a home for, quote, fallen women. Oh. A place known in this time period as a penitentiary. Wow. So women's prisons were for fallen women? Well, I'm going to tell you about it. It's okay. not a prison. It's okay. just the term they used. The home for fallen women was designed for women deemed to be cast out of society, usually because of some activity that goes against the Puritan beliefs of, of the time, such as former prostitutes, women whom had children out of wedlock, Women deserted by their husband due to excessive drinking. <laughs> <laughs> That's so strange. <laughs> or extramarital affairs. Listen, if I had met a woman who drank too much, I would be like, oh my god, we're a match made in yeah. heaven. Yes. But you two would turn in quite a lovely couple there, Jordan. Dude, we'd turn into... Who would be the bigger drunk? That'd be the real question. I mean... <laughs> there you go. It would have to be her, because according to Jordan, he's not an alcoholic. Hmm... He just likes to quench his thirst every exactly. night. Exactly. <laughs> He's just thirsty. 
The doctor says you can have one alcoholic beverage a night. I'm just doubling it for double effect. Dude, you know, I'm I'm just going to, like, quintuple it because then I'll be (laughs) ten times stronger. You know how healthy I'll be every day? Come on. We went over this last week. I am invincible. Mm -hmm. Oh, right, right. I forgot about that. Jordan's the dude from Diablo (laughs) 3. He took the alcoholism and he doubled it. Old Jay Wilson. Mm -hmm. I miss you, brother. Here is a satirical poem written by Thomas Hardy in Wait, eight... wait, wait. Don't tell Brad. It's written by Tom Hardy. <laughs> Don't tell <laughs> Brad in English. How is he are, still alive from 1866? Are, are we about to hear something from Peaky Fucking Blinders? <laughs> wait, is he in that? Yeah, he's Alfie Solomon. <laughs> is he? Yeah, he plays a Jewishman. Brad loves that. He is a good... I kind of liked him, too. Hell yeah. Yeah, dude, Tom Hardy's the shit. Anyway, Thomas Hardy's poem is called The Ruined Maid. Is supposed to be taking shots at the Puritan beliefs of a woman losing her virginity before marriage. It reads as a conversation between two rustic girls who haven't seen each other in a while. The first girl hardly recognizes her friend Amelia, who is now dressed in finery and putting on airs. Oh, who? Adam, so you be Amelia's friend. I will be the friend. Oi, Amelia, my dear, this does everything crown. Who could have supposed I should meet you in town? And whence such fair garments, such prosperity? <laughs> Amelia responds, Oh, you didn't know I'd been ruined? <laughs> the jealous friend continues to admire Amelia's improved state and finally laments, I wish I had feathers, a fine sweeping gown, and a delicate face, and could strut about the town. <laughs> To which Amelia proudly replies in the closing lines of the poem, My dear, a raw country girl such as you be cannot quite expect that. You ain't ruined. Okay, real question, fellas. Did any of you pick up either, first off, any humor at all in that? And number two... Um, any mention of her being a broken woman? Listen, woman. listen, I got no humor, <laughs> but, uh, she's saying she's ruined, so somebody <laughs> fucking crushed that pee. I don't know what the hell I've read, to be honest with I you. know, I know. I just, uh, I thought it might be, might be kind of funny, but I guess it wasn't. So I might cut it out. Don't cut it, that's <laughs> no. fantastic, I just don't know what it was. Everybody knows, the, the, now everyone knows what humor is from 1866, well, that's th- that's and th- it wasn't good. So, I started, like, researching, like, okay, what is the fallen woman thing? Like, what does it really mean of the time period? And this pops up, and I'm like, is this supposed to be funny? No. I don't know. Like, I it, guess maybe people, like, piss themselves laughing about this? I don't know. It ain't no, get, it ain't no Dane Cook, I'll If tell you, you were alive much. in the 1800s, email us, please. We gotta please. know if you were laughing, about laughing about this. About the fallen woman. Find Even out if a- you were jo- born on December 31st, <laughs> 1889, please email us. Please tell us if we did a good rendition of The Fallen Woman. <laughs> Tom Hardy, shout out to your poem skills, too. Shout out, bro. All right. Anyway, they believed they could help the woman reform, maybe just even become employable again. (laughs) Jesus. The sad part was the extreme double standards held to women at this time period where this type of institute even existed. Men in the same situations were just accepted by society. Yeah, so it sounds like there's a whole lot of slut-shaming going on back then. <laughs> just a little bit. Which? Just a weensy yeah. bit. I, I just want to say right now, that shit ain't cool. People no. like to fuck. Yeah. Well, Simple as that. It wasn't just fucking, okay? There was prostitutes, and yeah. then there was women yeah, who had kids out of marriage. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with fucking prostitutes either. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, there's not. Jordan, they're think, finding a way to make money. Jordan, I already think you're. I think you're arguing you, for the accepted look, norm look, already. Hey, if you're into prostitutes, buddy, you do you. Right, Jordan's fam? arguing for the rights of men to fuck prostitutes, and that's already okay in this time period. <laughs> Dude, listen, it's the women that were being held. This time to period them. has everything he wants. He has prostitutes. He has women having children out of wedlock. He's got arsenic everywhere. <laughs> Alcoholism is widely accepted. See, I I would love this time. You can have arsenic beer. Perfect, buddy. You can abandon your wife if she drinks too much, <laughs> yeah. and then she goes to prison. It doesn't matter if you drink too much, just as long as she yeah, doesn't no. drink too much. I mean, first off, everybody knows that I, Jordan Fox, can do nothing wrong. Right. We know that. We You're know perfect. That. Yeah, perfect. Don't you fucking forget it. <laughs> the ironic thing was that Marianne herself would have been subjected to this type of institute if Mr. Backhouse knew the truth of how she had lived her life up to this point. <laughs> Perhaps this in itself leads credence to how well Marianne was able to blend herself into normal society and gain people's trust rather easily. Towards the end of 1869, it seems, Marianne began to find her remaining child George a nuisance and got an idea to pawn him off on a friend. <laughs> she took the child to one of her friends located in Sunderland and told her she just needed to go post a letter. Then, of course, never returned. Then uh, when the kid's 18, she shows back up like, man, that line at the post office ain't no joke. The old <laughs> they pack of smokes, get a letter, get a gallon of milk trick. <laughs> I'll be right back, I promise. Hey, right? this kid got lucky. George got lucky. He yeah. did. He there did. is that a is lot true. of, there is a myriad of bodies that didn't get that lucky. But, I mean, he obviously didn't know this at the time. He just thought his mother yeah. was abandoning yeah. him. But, anyway... Now with a stable job and free of her son, Marianne was set... <laughs> I don't mean to sound positive there, but in Marianne's mind... Things are looking up! <laughs> in Marianne's eyes, she's, she's on the up and up, right? Marianne would set her eyes on one of her favorite pastimes, finding another husband. <laughs> Only you better have kids that she can fucking poison. <laughs> Jesus, son, Jordan. <laughs> Listen, I'm just going off what I've. It would have been. So it would have been more up your alley if you're like, I wish I was her kid. <laughs> <laughs> you know me too well. <laughs> Only problem was, she was still married, and she would have to commit bigamy. But Marianne was a determined woman. Yeah. The new man Marianne had her sights on was Frederick Cotton. Uh oh. Brother of her old friend Margaret Cotton. Ooh, Maggie Cotton. <laughs> Frederick was a widower with two children remaining. Much like her own father, Frederick was a coal miner <laughs> who lived in Northumberland Mining Village. I think I said that right. Of North, I'm going to assume this is Wobbittle. 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 get us. You know, it's She'll probably pronounced like Waddle or some shit. I, th I figured it'd be like Wobbittle. 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 I'm, I'm I'm going Waddle just because like Leicester City looks like it should be Leicester. Leicester, yeah. <laughs> I know someone will get us. His job specifically was a hewer at the coordination pit. All right. A hewer was a miner who actually hacked the coal from the coal face. Oh. A tough job, often performed in cramped, hot, and dangerous conditions. Hey, that's a lot better than a, a tackler or whatever a he was. Sinker. Like. A sinker. I don't. There's someone who fucked up jobs. Yeah. I can't even keep track. 
Margaret had recently moved in with her brother Frederick to help out with his family. As with tradition, Margaret told Frederick he needs to find a new wife. <laughs> Playing a little matchmaker, Margaret had the perfect woman for him. Mary Ann. Is it Oprah? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, close. Damn it. Mary, I think Oprah would have been a safer bet. But no, it was Mary Ann. In the spring of 1870, Mary Ann was once again pregnant. <laughs> it's rumored that to avoid being scandalous... Marianne went to work in the household of a German physician in <laughs> Spennymore until the two could officially get married. It was also suspected that while here, Marianne stole the physician's money and valuables before returning to finally marry Frederick. Sure. I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> it's almost like she's never done that before. <laughs> she's such a hoe. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, no slut shaming. Adam, Jesus. I'm sorry. My emotions got the best. She just wants to find love, and she's looking in all the wrong places. Come on. Alright. The two lovebirds tied the knot at St. Andrew's Church in Newcastle. They probably have some brown ale to celebrate. (laughs) I can only hope. I bet Muffy knows where this church is. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Send us a picture. Technically, this marriage was a sham because Marianne's last husband was still alive, but due to actual, <laughs> due to the lack of actual keeping proper records, nobody seemed no. to even notice. <laughs> Plus, they both lied about being members of the Newcastle Parish, and Marianne told them her old surname was Mowbray, not Robinson. Mm. And nobody cared because nobody knew. No, they don't give a shit. Now, you may be asking... Why not simply just divorce? Well, in Victorian times, someone with Mary's social status and income, this was simply out of the question, which led plenty of people around this time period to commit bigamy, sometimes referred to as living in sin. (laughs) Jordan, are you living in sin currently? Uh, no. No. Are you sure? I'm pretty positive. (laughs) You're not, you're not a bigamist? No. Okay. Kind of cool. I kind of want to be I a bigamist. I live with my someday. dad, so that would be really fucking weird. You should marry Norm. Dude, Norm <laughs> looks so cute in the picture with all of uh, Creepy Reels' I, lo- I love gifts, that. I love dude. that creepy, creepy <laughs> in the like background. His, like, half-folded one ear. <laughs> <laughs> I love he, that cat so fucking he, much. He, he's seen better days. We'll just say that. Oh, yeah. With so many bigamist marriages happening in England, if people were caught and arrested, they usually only spent about 30 days in jail. <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> we don't really know if Frederick knew about any of Marianne's previous marriages outside of Mowbray. Maybe she was truthful. Maybe she wasn't. We don't know. All right. You know, I'm going to go with the latter on that. Once married, Marianne moved in with the Cottons, and not long after her friend Margaret passed away... <laughs> <laughs> Have fun with this word, Cody. (laughs) She died from pleuro-pneumonia. Oh, hell yeah, dude. Does that sound right? I thought that one was going to trip you up real good. Pleuro-pneumonia. Yes. Must be extreme pneumonia. Which we can safely say could not get mixed up with arsenic poisoning because it is a lung infection. See, I I thought I had it figured out. (laughs) I think I played right into your trap card. I, I laid a lot of these how, in here. How similar is pleuronomonia to mesothelioma? Ooh, it's an asbestos-related well, injury. Well, I thought mesothelioma she was lung cancer. Well, but... I mean, that's I'm, technically a lung infection. 
You remember when we did that whole mesothelioma bit last week? No. Oh. I forgot. Fun. It was a good one. Did we? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Way, no. way to ruin our moment. Yeah, Damn you it. killed it. You really killed it. Dude, my memory's like one week and I'm done. It was last week, so. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going down. It's like three days now. <laughs> I do know what I did last night, and that was see a rock concert. So yes. There we go. Roughly a month after they married, Marianne convinced Frederick he should definitely insure his two remaining children with life insurance. <laughs> they would be four and eight years old because Frederick himself already had life insurance. It didn't seem to take much convincing for him to do so. Sure. He loves insurance. <laughs> Marianne gave birth to their child named Robert Robson Cotton roughly five, <laughs> roughly five months after their marriage. Shortly after that, the family would move to North Wobble. Wobble. I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't say <laughs> it. <laughs> North Wobble. You think it's Wobble? I'm. I think it's Wobble. I'm sure I'm wrong, but I'm just gonna say it because some of those towns have stupid whoa, names. Whoa! Whoa! Don't be insulting. Well, our they English left fans. North Walmart Bottle. Where are they headed <laughs> now, Cody? Please tell me. West Auckland would forever be the place where Marianne Cotton's name would live in infamy. And this is where she gets her famous last name from, was Mr. Rupert R. Cotton. What's right. his name? Frederick. Frederick Cotton. Frederick Cotton. Close. Rupert's a close second. All yeah. <laughs> There's at least two matching letters in that. <laughs> Let's think of generic English names. Rupert. Arthur. Albert. <laughs> Albert. <laughs> Bendy Dick Humbersnatch. (laughs) (laughs) The reason for the move would have most likely been due to Frederick's mining bond expiring. Mm. Although there is also the possibility that the chatty neighbors had noticed Marianne being pregnant out of wedlock. I feel like everybody would have noticed that when she (laughs) gave birth five months after they were married. Dude, people are chatty as fuck during this time, all right? Hell yeah. People are still chatty as fuck. They didn't have no TV. They don't don't care if you're married or not, I don't think anymore. Not really. I look down on it. No. Live your your life according to God. You are a soon-to-be bigamist. You are. Yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. And you're divorced. Yeah. I am divorced. You're going to hell, so yep. good for you, But buddy. there there are no plans for moving in with a significant other, because I don't have one of those. There never is plans, is there, And Jordan? you know what? I don't think there's going to be one of those coming up for a while. We'll find somebody for you. Please don't. <laughs> Either way, West Auckland would hold a lot more in the job opportunity department than the smaller village, a Mr. H. Conyers wrote about West Auckland in 1924. Adam? The village is three and a half miles southwest of Bishop Auckland. (laughs) It is of considerable size and pleasantly situated on Rithered Gauntless, which is here spanned by a stone bridge. A Mr. Stobart in 1853 tells a different story. West Auckland was one of the filthiest places in England constantly underwater due to drainage and that quote the only thing to improve it would be a good flood of fire (laughs) (laughs) thank you sir so kind of a dump apparently i was gonna say sounds like a real fridley (laughs) (laughs) please people of fridley Fridley, don't write back you roasted the hell out of us in that between the bubbles already we can't take another one of those Mm -hmm. the cottons would move to johnson terrans in West Ackland, now called Darlington Road. Marianne actually would have had a secret reason why she would have been looking forward to moving to this area. 
her ex-lover Joseph Natras, who was now a widower, lived in the lodgings in Johnson's Terrace. Ooh, rekindling some old sparks here, methinks. Frederick Cotton soon enough found work as a hewer again. Around September 1871, he soon fell ill of typhoid and hepatitis, Ugh. dying not long after. A double whammy. That's, oh, I can imagine. Was he banging all those whores? To get the hepatitis? Or eating I poop. don't think so, Jordan. He's Probably a... drinking infected water. Yeah, that that's more likely. If we remember correctly, both of these can be associated with arsenic poisoning because Frederick was so well insured, Marianne enjoyed a nice payout from his life insurance. <laughs> Within three months, Joseph Nastras moved into her household. God damn. Living as a lodger with Marianne. Oh, Frederick's two children and her own child. While we may assume that the two lovers would officially get back together, Marianne took a job as a nurse in the home of a local bachelor named Mr. Quickman. <laughs> oh, Lord. That was quick, Mr. Manning. <laughs> I swear this never happens. But... Mr. Quick Manning had a much nicer house than Marianne did. Listen, I really, I got to cut in here. And yeah. I do hate to cut in. Uh-oh. But this is adding a lot of credence to negative woman stereotypes. Right. About the branch climbing. Yeah. Mm. Well, Cody, you're doing a lot of bad I'm work not trying to, for the movement here. I'm not trying to bash anybody. And <laughs> I think you're only making it a problem, to be honest. <laughs> But uh, it's society in this time. You know, there's a lot of status. You have to climb that. Mm, I think Cody's... That sounds uh, like excuses. Misogynist. <laughs> misogynist. I think he's a sexist. <laughs> he's racist against the Irish. Definitely. I'll accept that one. The other ones, I'm not accepting those. Well, listen, lady fans. I know you're out there. Cody's a misogynist. <laughs> Don't believe Join him. Team Fox. That's right. And gang up against yeah, him. Yeah, join Mr. He said Man- he's going to try and attack me. Mr. Fucking Man Whore over here. Mr. All right. Quick Man Whore yeah. over here. <laughs> <laughs> Please, if I were any kind of a man whore, that would mean I'm having sex. (laughs) Everyone knows that's not the case. (laughs) Jesus. Your self-deprecation is beautiful, George. I know. Now, Mr. Quick Manning had been suffering from smallpox. Hmm. Luckily for him, though, it had been eradicated. Until the year 2017 (laughs) when anti-vaxxers existed. (laughs) Usually, around 30% of people who contract this disease don't survive. More than likely, he had the variola minor strain, which rarely kills its victims. Nice. But in his case... (laughs) For those of you interested in smallpox uh, strains, Marianne soon set her sights on winning the affection of Mr. Quick Manning to once again improve her own living situation. There was only one problem. She had a man and three children waiting in her home. Yeah. Within the span of 22 days, from March 10th to April 1st, 1872, three of them would be dead. Jesus. Listen, I don't see how that's suspicious. (laughs) This all seems normal. They got, they died of hiccups. Poor Natras. Joseph Natras. So you know what's funny, actually? Mr. Quick Manning, we never learn his first name. He's it's just, just Mr. Quick Manning, okay? So, like, if anybody's wondering, I, we don't know what his first name is. It's Maybe probably it's... Peyton. Like Mr. Big <laughs> on Sex and the City. Yeah, you, you, we just don't know his real name. Mm-hmm. 
Joseph Nasrus was registered of having died of typhoid fever, Frederick, age 10, of gastric fever, and little Robert died of convulsions caused by teething. Wait, uh. She really got away with it with different symptoms for each arsenic victim. Have you ever heard yeah. of dying from teething? Co- convulsions caused by teething? No. no I, I don't he think died so. of the shakes by chewing. <laughs> I guess if that's what you want to call it. What a beast. Frederick and Robert had life insurance on them, while Joseph did not. But Marianne inherited his life savings of 10 pounds and 15 shillings. All right. Listen, we did learn earlier that, like, the 50 pounds was equivalent to two pounds. Yeah, yeah, I guess. It's like 200 bucks, right? I guess she's balling. No, this is like 500 bucks. You're right. Yeah. So, I mean, granted, not a gigantic sum of money, but, you know, even in modern times with that equation, it's going to make a difference. Now, fellas... It's really odd. If she did, in fact, kill all of those people, why leave one remaining Charles Edward Cotton alive? He was her stepchild, and rumors from the neighbors that she wasn't particularly fond of the child, reporting she would beat him, starve him, leave him in the home alone, and lock him outside the house in all sorts of weather conditions. It is thought she did this strictly to keep receiving her parish relief from the country. Gotcha. Either way, it didn't take too long for Marianne to seduce Mr. Quick Manning as she was pregnant once again. Fuck. (laughs) Around July 1872, after moving in with Mr. Quick Manning, Marianne may have met her match. Excellent. A real hard ass. Presumably, with a pocket protector, Mr. Thomas Riley, the overseer of the local parish relief. All right. All right, Mr. Thomas Dork Riley, let's go. He contacted her to ask if she could work as a nurse for another local smallpox victim. Marianne was arguing and complaining that she couldn't do the job because she had no one to watch little Charles Edwards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She told Riley perhaps he should put Charles into a workhouse. (laughs) Riley said he would only do that if she went with him, which she most certainly was not going to do. Now, what was a workhouse? Well, they were known as a harsh and cruel way to attempt to handle poverty across the land. Originally, they were designed to store those too ill or old to take care of themselves. Inmates were assigned pointless jobs or tasks to do throughout (laughs) the day. In this particular time period, going to a workhouse was essentially admitting you, in fact, lived in poverty and were unable to support your family. In a time period where status is everything, most do not want to be associated with a place like this. No, man. Yeah. That sounds like debtor's prison almost. Right. Yeah. It's that sounds like Peaky Blinders. We're that gonna... does sound like some Peaky fucking <laughs> Peaky fucking. You just love saying blinders. that, don't you? Yes, everybody loves saying it. Everybody does. Effectively, they had two systems: outdoor relief or indoor relief. Currently, Marianne was on outdoor relief, meaning she received money and prospects of jobs and. Indoor relief was staying in the workhouse. Okay, so outdoor mm. relief is you can still have like a house, uh, normal life yeah. kind of. You're basically yeah. just getting welfare. But but th- like you were saying, he's trying to force her to work. Okay, and she doesn't want to work. Gotcha. Now this is a little excerpt from a walk 
in the workhouse written by Charles Dickens in 1850. If you don't know, he was a huge proprietor of like exposing basically the poverty and stuff yeah. around this time the period. The horrors so, of Victorian right. era industrial revolution. England. So, so I want to ask you guys. I was thinking about this like authors and this, you know, old authors like this guy. Like he had the power to spread what people might not have known, but I feel yeah. like authors can't really do that today. Like nobody takes them serious. You know what I'm saying? I think that I think it's transitioned a little bit into uh, music. Maybe, yeah, it could. Like all the rap that's coming out these days, yeah. all the stuff I like now is yeah. basically all about black empowerment at yeah. this point. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You find different mediums to you uh, get your message, get your expressionism out, right. your frustrations on yep. the state of affairs. Anyway, Adam, if you would. Yeah. In one place, the new gate of the workhouse, a company of boys and youths were locked up in a yard alone, their day room being a kind of kennel where the casual poor used formerly to be littered down at night. Divers of them had been there for some long time. Are they never going away was the natural inquiry. Most of them are crippled in some form or another, said the wardsman, and not fit for anything. They slunk about like dispirited wolves or hyenas and made a pounce at their food when it was served out, much as those animals do. The big-headed idiot shuffling his feet along the pavement in the sunlight outside was a more agreeable object every way. Groves of babies at arms, groves of mothers and other sick women in bed, groves of lunatics, jungles of men in stone-paved downstairs day rooms, waiting for their dinners, longer and longer groves of old people, in upstairs infirmary wards, wearing out life, God knows how. This was the scenery through which the walk lay. For two hours in some of these latter chambers, there were pictures stuck against the wall, and a neat display of crockery and pewter on a kind of sideboard. Now and then it was a treat to see a plant or two. In almost every ward there was a cat. (laughs) In all of these long walks of aged and infirm, some old people were bedridden and had been for a long time. Some were sitting on their beds half naked, some dying in their beds, some out of bed, and sitting at a table near the fire. A sullen or lethargic indifference to what was asked, a blunted sensibility to everything but warmth and food, a moody absence of complaint as being of no use, a dogged silence, and resentful desire to be left alone again. So he may be exaggerating a little bit, but you can imagine the conditions were not good. It sounded sounded pretty hyperbolic, but it also sounded pretty barbaric as well. So the workhouses weren't abolished until 1930 in England. So Jesus, they were they were going on for a long time. So That's you might be fun. able to see why Marianne didn't want to go there, but she didn't care about jamming her kid in there. Sure. <laughs> With Marianne making such a fuss about this situation and believing that Mr. Riley was about to remove her from parish relief, it appears she no longer had any reason to keep Charles Edwards alive. <laughs> A mere six days after her conversation with Mr. Riley, Charles Edwards was dead. Jesus. It was later claimed by Thomas Riley he actually had no plans of canceling her parish relief. (laughs) The ironic part was Thomas Riley was not just the overseer of the parish relief, but also the local shopkeeper, whom sold groceries and things you might find in a local pharmacy. This very well could be the spot where Marianne could have purchased the arsenic in the form of an arsenical soft soap, often used by many in this time period as a washing-up liquid. Because, as we said last week, arsenic was in everything. Everything. Do you think it actually got your hands clean? 
Probably. Yeah. But uh, also it got your poison. hands clean and <laughs> yeah. poisoned. Yep. The doctor treating Charles Edwards during the, his illness was named Dr. Kilburn. It is suspected Mr. Riley would have told Kilburn of a possible foul play. Mm. Therefore, the doctor would not issue a death certificate, which would have also prevented Marianne from receiving the life insurance money upon Charles Edwards' death. Mm. So the inquest was handed out by the Rose and Crown Public House, which ironically was right next door to Marianne's <laughs> house. <laughs> Go over there, check it out. <laughs> Go right next door. Coroners would have been sent out to perform the autopsy and see if, in fact, there was foul play. As odd as it may sound to us, the autopsy would have most likely been performed right in Marianne's house. Let me just cut this kid open right <laughs> oh, here. Yeah, sick. That hey, sounds great. Hey, all right. So you know how sometimes during these episodes I like to do a little guess. Yes. See where it's going? Yes. Based on previous episodes we've done, we have found out that most serial killers or greed killers that we've done or whatever, they usually get stemmed up, caught up because of... Something stupid. Dumb. Like wanting their money off of a child insurance case. And I think... If if I'm right, that's where this is headed. For for probably like four shilling a week, she was getting his parish relief. Yep. She's now going to be busted. I think so. I think you're on to something. All right. Because, as with tradition of the time, his body would have most likely been sitting inside a coffin within her home. Mm-hmm. While the autopsy was being performed by Dr. Kilburn, he did find traces of white powder inside his digestive tract. But because Dr. Kilburn had prescribed the boy medication previous to his passing, he just, he just would assume it was that. Mm-hmm. It did not send the substance off to be chemically mm-hmm. tested. That's where you went wrong, Kilburn. And Jordan, I saw you give a funny look when you said the body would be in the coffin for several days in the house. Yeah. You don't do that in the Fox's house. There is the reason why houses used to have parlors. For bodies? That's right. Really? Like, that's where wow. the name funeral parlor comes wow. from. Because you would keep it in the parlor of your home until it was ready for burial. See, I did not know that. So that seemed like a strange tradition to me. There you go. You learned something there. I actually think the Amish still do this. I could they see leave it. The, they handcraft their casket or whatever, and then they leave the body in the house for a while to like observe and whatnot. Yeah. They let everybody come say their goodbyes in person. And Will all you that. do this for me, Adam, please? Put me in your apartment and let everybody come in there and just check me out. Cody, if I find you dead and there's nothing I can do <laughs> about Shana it. And Shana hasn't ate me yet. Shana hasn't gotten the best cuts <laughs> off you yet. I'm just going to dump you in a dumpster, to be honest. I, can, right, I really can't fi- worry about that's it. Fine. All that's right. fine. That's <laughs> fine. So, however, he kept the liquid from the boy's stomach and ended up burying his stomach in the garden <laughs> in his backyard in case it needed to be examined later. <laughs> it's kind of weird, buddy, but all right. Of course, that stickler Thomas Riley was not satisfied with the verdict of the autopsy. It appears as if Riley would persuade Kilburn to give it one more close look. You pocket protector wearing <laughs> bastard Riley. Kilburn. You Ned Flanders Kilburn. motherfucker. <laughs> hey, Kilburn. Yeah. I just seen push his glass. Come on, buddy. Mm-hmm. Something stinks to me. Get that liver out of <laughs> And Dr. Kilburn did just that. This time, he rigged up an apparatus used during this time to test poisonous metals called the... Is it Reinch. Is it Reinch? Reinch. The Reinch test. 
A German chemist named Hugo Reinch had created the test roughly 30 years previous to this date. Mm. How it works is they heat the suspected materials and mix them in with hydrochloric acid. Then a piece of copper foil is added to the mixture. If the copper piece becomes coated with a silvery substance, mercury has been detected. If the copper turns dark color then it is most likely arsenic or some other poisonous metal. Dude, that's so cool that they had to, like, have processes like this to <laughs> right? figure out. I'm just like, I don't want to touch anything involved in this. Hydrochloric acid? No, thank but you. But how do you yeah. figure that out? How do you figure out? It's like, just put something in here, put I, some acid on it, and then we'll see what color it turns. The thing, it has to be, like, the magnetism, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. does acid neutralize the magnetism in the metal? And Actually, the I don't know about that. I just agreed with you we and need, said yes. We need a chemist in You're here. You're probably on to something. I watch no, we need an alchemist. <laughs> Being this is a semi-crude test, it can be unreliable. It was hard to isolate what the exact metal was. It can give a false positive if they use an impure acid. Or, being that arsenic can be a byproduct from smelting copper, Fuck. it could be on the copper foil sure. itself. Sure. Yep. The morning after Dr. Kilburn performed the test, Marianne Cotton was swiftly arrested and chose to remain silent in front of all of her accusers. With her now in custody, the body of Charles Edward Cotton would be exhumed for further testing that would be carried out by a lecturer of forensic medicine and technology named Dr. Thomas Skatergood. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Thomas Skatergood. Get that son of a bitch Skatergood over here. <laughs> they would also exhume the remains of Cotton Frederick. <laughs> One night. Jesus Christ. That's a real Ziptocruological moment. Frederick Cotton Jr. and Robert Robert Robson Cotton. <laughs> the dumbest name of all. Yeah. Bob Bobson Cotton. Oof, holy shit. Dr. Scattergood would find traces of arsenic within all three of them. Smartly, they also tested all the soil around the graves for arsenic to not allow her defense counsel to use it as an excuse. They're not being fucking bumblebutts in no. this case. This fucker, Mr. Scattergood, he ain't fucking around. Him and Riley are a good team. Yeah. Yep. See, it pays off to be an asshole sometimes. They're mm -hmm. a real stickler. Mm -hmm. They did try to find the remains of the boy's father, Frederick Cotton Sr., in a graveyard at St. Helen, Auckland. They dug graves for two days, led by a man named Joe Drummond. Drummond. He declared that there had been a 116 burials in the churchyard since the new year, then said, that's I swear to God's house spelled. And I don't know a tith of them. The graves were said to be, quote, as sticking close as furrows in a leaf wheel. <laughs> If anybody's wondering how this quote is spelled, it's A-N space A-W space D-U-N space N-K-N-O-W space A space T-I-T-H-E space O apostrophe E-M. And I don't know what tip of them. I thought it was like, you know, no tip of them. You know, a tip of them. And I don't know a tip of them. Like, you know when you see TV shows and someone's mumbling and they're trying to do yeah. the subtitles? Yeah. Like, I don't even know how they how they even tell. Anyway. My favorite is at the XL Energy Center during Wild Games. And they then the closed captioning, it says, like, loud rock music playing. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? what? Who cares? <laughs> Rhythmic clapping? Like, what? <laughs> okay. 
You think someone who's okay? If someone's deaf, do they really care what kind of music's playing no. at a fucking hockey game? I couldn't imagine. So anyway, when they exhumed the body of Joseph Nastras, they found at least seventeen grains of arsenic, some of which weren't even dissolved in his stomach yet. Damn, grains is an old-fashioned type of measurement. For example, sixty-two grains would be roughly a level teaspoonful of sugar. Three grains is enough to kill a grown man. Whom has not built up a tolerance Damn. like Jordan. <laughs> Damn. That's <laughs> true. I can go all the way up to fucking 20. <laughs> With the legends of the West Ackland Poisoner now traveling throughout the chatty countryside, people would stop by this area to perhaps catch a glimpse. Seems not much has changed in that regard. The investigators would start to dig into Marianne's previous life leading up to the murders. It didn't take them long to notice a pattern of people very close to Marianne <laughs> dying in almost the exact same way. From weird symptoms that looked like <laughs> hepatitis sometimes. Most of which could have been caused by arsenic poisoning. And did. <laughs> Much like today, the details after this discovery were being leaked to the press, making any shot at a fair trial very difficult. There is also another little problem... That would delay her trial. She was yet again found to be pregnant. Of course. She's fertile. We assume the father was Mr. Quick Manning because when the child was born January 7th, 1873, Marianne named her Margaret Edith Quick Manning. Aww. What is that kind of adorable name name that just. She really likes It rolls off the tongue really easy. I kind of like Edith. It's kind of old. Me too. Me too. This would be presumably her 12th child. Generally, generally the baby would have went to the grandmother, but because she was deceased, the baby would be put up for adoption. It was said there was 150 applications submitted, even one from Bishop Ackland himself. <laughs> I don't know what he'd want a kid for, but okay. Yeah, especially since he's a bishop and the child is a... Oh, Girl. I should I should say too, Bishop Auckland. He's like the big dick of the community. I mean, they are sense? in West yeah. Auckland, yeah. and he, he is Bishop Auckland. He's, yeah, he's like the big dog. So, for some reason, they allowed Marianne to choose whom would adopt the child. <laughs> that makes no sense. I, I don't know, guys. But I don't know. This is a different time. She chose Sarah and William Edwards of Johnson Terrence. William was a coal miner, and they had been struggling to have children for over seven years. By all accounts, they were pretty stand-up citizens, unlike Marianne. <laughs> okay. The Attorney General of England, Sir, G- Sir John Duke Coleridge, would appoint his boy Charles Russell to be the prosecutor. In this case, Charles Russell was a 40-year-old, hot-tempered Irish Catholic. Cody really <laughs> fucking hates this dude. I don't like him or any. Who is known for his aggressive style of cross-examinations on the witnesses. Like Matlock. He was Irish and aggressive. <laughs> Maybe Matlock was based off Charles Russell. I bet or... he was. Um, one quick note. So, remember how we said when she was born, they had just ref- uh, signed the reform bill in 1832? Yeah. Before the trial, there's a little argument if she should be prosecuted by the duke of where she was born or like by the state okay but the state just kind of overpowered and said we're taking care of her this is us yeah yep his opponent marianne's defense attorney was thomas campbell foster who was around 60 years old 
Thomas had only taken this job two days before the trial started (laughs) and didn't really seem to give too much of a shit. He basically just took the money for being her attorney, and his legal advice was just not to say anything. (laughs) Plead the fifth. The court's plan was to only charge her with the death of Charles Edward at first. It would bring the other victims into the case if need be. Thomas Campbell's main defense would be to claim that because the room of the child had green arsenic-based wallpaper and Marianne had cleaned his room with arsenic-based soap, he most likely had poisoned himself. No! He is... No! (laughs) Okay. I guess because... I guess... Okay. He poisoned himself because of, number one, poor choices of the mother, but number two, because she actually poisoned him. Maybe the child was eating a piece of bread with butter on it and had dropped it on the floor. It always lands with the butter side down, and that would clearly pick up any particles remaining on the floor from the soap. Makes sense to me. <laughs> secondly, and my simple brain. Secondly, maybe the medicine the child was given while ill was incorrectly mixed with too much arsenic, accidentally killing him. Jesus. Well, first off, why is medicine being mixed with arsenic? Because everything was arsenic. Boner pills were arsenic. still, just... Pimple pills were arsenic. Everything. It's good stuff, Jordan. Lastly, he reminded the jury that no arsenic was found in the home of Marianne Cotton. During closing arguments, he informed the jury of the special care a mother shows her child... Who could imagine a mother killing her own child? Well, when it comes to Marianne Cotton, I think I can (laughs) envision that pretty quickly. The prosecutor basically used witnesses to confirm how cruel Marianne had been to her children, how how easily she could have slipped arsenic-based soap into his food or drink simply by adding water. And because of the easily hidden nature of poison, it would be unlikely any witnesses would have seen her in the act of poisoning. Who let the duck in here? (laughs) Okay, that was good. That needs to stay in. Like, I heard that through my headphones. I I think we all did. (laughs) The Canadian-born judge's name was Thomas Dixon Archibald. (laughs) He informed... Good old Tommy (laughs) Bald Dick. (laughs) Tommy Dick Bald... He informed the jury to not be concerned about finding reasonable motive, as motive was very hard to prove. (laughs) Instead, focus on intention and action of the murder. It only took the jury less than an hour to deliberate, and they returned with a guilty verdict, headed to the gallows. Surprisingly, after the verdict, a lot of people came to her defense trying to save her from the hangman. A lot of the talk was due to her weak defense attorney, a man named John T. Nixon, and 130 others signed petitions attempting to poke holes in the case, stating if they would have checked the bottles located inside the home, perhaps she had accidentally poisoned her son. The Supreme Quaker himself, (laughs) Edward Backhouse, was trying his hardest to exonerate Marianne as well. Sending letters signed by multiple people who knew Marianne, essentially essentially saying what John Nixon had. He then tried to get his message through various newspapers as well. Another man named Frank Cause sent a, 
sent a letter saying he believes she may have given the arsenic because she believed it was treating illnesses mm. such as typhoid fever. Another woman wrote a letter pleading to not execute Marianne until her newborn child had been weaned. Nothing was sticking, though. No, she killed so many children. Right? We and and adults. Yeah, a lot and of adults. People. Marianne Cotton herself wrote several letters pleading her innocence, begging friends to visit her. Perhaps they could help her from being put to death. Something that was a bit interesting told by people whom visited her in prison said female prisoners actually had rather nice living conditions, including mm. a clean, well-lit room mm. with pretty paper on the wall, a fire, a bed, a table, and two chairs. Hey, this is God. like what what that I always sounds... assumed the woman's bathroom was like. <laughs> yeah. It's... It kind of is, I think. They all have fireplaces yeah. and nice... Couches. And it just sounds nice. like a nice uh, La Quinta Inn and Suite. Yeah. <laughs> Minus the fireplace. <laughs> La Quinta in prison. I did have a hot tub in my La Quinta once. Oh, that's good. Was it a honeymoon suite? Well, it was considered a suite, but mm. it was just the same exact thing as a regular room, but it had a hot tub in it. <laughs> <laughs> the date of her execution would be set for March 24th, 1873. The elderly executioner in charge was named William Calcraft and may have very well been the last public executioner in England. Cool. That's a good title. If Marianne would have been caught and found guilty just six years earlier, she would have been executed in front of a public crowd. Oh. William Calcraft was a bit sadistic himself, presumably having executed over a hundred people and was known for preferring the short drop. Mm-hmm. What? Do you mm. know what that is, George? So it doesn't no. break your neck. You yep. suffocate oh. instead. When he wasn't working... His hobbies included breeding pigeons and rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> hey, bunny. Strangled. <laughs> oh, my pigeons. <laughs> Sometimes he purposely made the rope so short he would have to pull the legs down of the person himself. Yeah, I bet that made him a little bit hard, at least. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Feeling the people kick against them, taking their last uh, breaths. When the time came for Marianne's execution... She was placed on the scaffold and had to endure Calcraft's short drop. It took her three minutes to finally die. Fuck. And with tradition of the time, they left her body hang there for an hour. She never once admitted to any murders and claimed her only crime was bigamy and having children out of wedlock. Mm. She went to the grave without confessing. Mm -hmm. After death, a cast was made of Marianne's head to be studied by phrenologists or bump feelers they believed a person's personality was reflected in the shape of his or her head the bump feelers in edinburgh declared marianne's head was a thoroughly criminal type the bump feelers in hartpool claimed her skull showed lack of morals and strong animal urges <laughs> they also claimed to detect cause this vulgarity destructiveness secretiveness Cephaloids, firmness, benevolence, and evil. Marianne would have been fond of hard work and a good life. It's a lot of negatives with a couple positives in there. Yeah. The Hartpool's Royal Theater later would host a play called The Great Moral Drama of the Life and Death of Marianne Cotton. Damn. Now that we've heard the whole story of Marianne Cotton, 
I'm going to give you a few scenarios of what actually could have happened or what we believe. Number one, she was actually a serial killer that murdered her children and husband for financial gain or other reasons. Number two. All the deaths were simply a product of the time period, such as rampant diseases and dangerous living conditions. Number three. Arsenic was fucking everywhere, and in everything, Marianne was using arsenic as medicine because because it, it was believed to cure some ailments for diseases around this time period. Sure. Number four. Maybe my personal favorite, that Marianne could be a typhoid carrier. Typhoid Mary. Which was quite rare, but it does actually happen. Maybe she was infecting people without even realizing it. In New York in 1904, there's a woman named Mary Mallon. Oh, or the real typhoid Mary. <laughs> right. Mary was a cook who appeared to not have any sense of personal hygiene or cleanliness. Mm -hmm. Ended up infecting three or more people, leading to their deaths before she would be quarantined. And obviously, Marianne would have been making meals for her family. And because heating up the food may have been an inconvenience of the time, mm. she might have preferred serving food in a more raw form. You know, I like my my burger blue. <laughs> Give me that blue hamburger, baby. Some people love that shit. Yeah. It's like I don't tar -tar. get it. Where you just yeah. like, ta uh, what's the one where they just like sear it real quick and yeah. then you eat it? Yeah. <laughs> Black Listen, and I, blue. I want the chef to just take my burger patty and give it a quick hot breath. Yeah. <sighs> That's all I need. I like my burgers cooked. Yeah. But I do like them a little pink. I'm not going to lie. Not going to lie. I can do I, either or. I cannot do pink in my burgers. You need right. them gray? They got to be gray. But when I eat a steak, you give me that shit medium rare. Well, obviously. Come on. Okay, Adam, what do you think? What What do you think she is? I think she's definitely a serial killer. Jordan. Uh, Yeah, I'm with Adam. She's definitely a serial killer. Like you mentioned, number one, for financial gain. Yeah. And the fact that they found traces of arsenic in them, yep. you know, obviously leads to credence. But they did put it... 17 grains. There's a little theory that she, like, she's given the medicine. Maybe they had a medicine. She's like, oh, we'll put a little more arsenic in here. It'll speed up the ailment curing or whatever, and then they die from it. But, but that's think, too many. Yeah. It's, it's too many. 20, yeah. possibly... Possibly. 21 people. Yeah, like, it's... there was a lot of fucking people, and not that many had that many arsenic-related <laughs> no, deaths no. around them, even though arsenic was everywhere. I know. She was a killer, for sure. I know. I actually just had a conversation over Thanksgiving with a relative about arsenic, so... Because mm. they were talking about uh, mice infestations, and she's like, oh, you just put a little arsenic out there. I'm like, can you even buy it that easily anymore? I don't know. You I can. think rat poison's all strychnine, ain't it? Oh yeah, it is all strychnine now. You're so right, I don't yeah. know. I don't know how easy arsenic yeah. is to get. How do you get it, Jordan? Don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway, that's the story of Marianne. Uh, pretty pretty cool. Loved it. Like loved it. it. Really I, loved it. I really I really like. Obviously, her story's great, but like exploring the time period for me personally, I really like to. I, I love had, Victorian I, London. I had no Victorian. idea about all of this shit, so yeah. it's great. It's awesome learning all this shit. So. Steampunk shit. I'm all about it. <laughs> Are we all going to wear top hats with goggles? Oh, yeah. We should. Certainly. You buy them, Joey. I'm going to come in on a spider mech next week. It's going to be <laughs> fucking rad. Can we all watch Wild Wild West together? Yes. Fuck yes. <laughs> As always, ladies and gentlemen, you can get a hold of us on email at bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. You can also get a hold of us on Twitter at bumblebuttpod. 
And of course, on Instagram and Facebook at Bumblebutt Podcast. Instagram is the main one. That's the one we'd prefer you go on. Cody writes a lot of shit on mm-hmm. there, posts shit on there all the time. Mm-hmm. Come talk to me. I it's love it. It's a lot of fun. So do all that. And now for the most important part of the show, at least if you ask Cody, the iTunes reviews. Oh, we had a good week again. How many this no time? Oh, shit. We had, we've had four reviews. Two non-written, two written. Okay. I'll I'll take it. So let's take a gander at them here. When you have to actually like scroll through them, you know something's good. Anyway, number one, love this show. Lamine Boy, I really like this show, and the hosts are great. Lamine Boy, thank, thank you, you so much. You are dude. awesome, my friend. Love this podcast by Phil112233445566. I hope your mother didn't name me that. It made me here again. <laughs> Thank wow. you. It sounds Thank like you. we performed a Christmas miracle. <laughs> <laughs> now we have some extra special ones too because Miss Muffy and Pip Proudfoot hooked me up with our European reviews. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I asked them to just send a picture because we can't see them. Yeah. You literally have to like change your region and all this horse shit on iTunes and it's kind of a nightmare. Wow. So let's start with Miss Muffy. Hers is literally Miss Muffy Heart Bump of Us. <laughs> Thank you. Great podcast. These guys are laid back and hilarious. Oh. They make me. They make you feel like you're sitting having a laugh with your mates. Oh, Thank you. fuck yes. Thank you. That's bro. what we want. Yep. I, yeah. Like that's all we want. That's all we're doing. So that's all we want to provide is having make it feel like you're having some laughs. So great podcast from UK Lucy. Love this. Good facts and funny at the same time. Smiley face, smiley face. And I think that's Lucy Cavanaugh. Thank you oh, very much, oh, Lucy. Thank you. You're amazing. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed your stickers. Yeah, you're a beast, Lucy. Thank uh, you. Yeah, I think everybody should have their stickers by now. I think so. The mail system is really fucked uh, up. Now, guys, you're going to like this one. This one is very special for my heart, and it's going to really crush Jordan. So I'm excited. From Pip Proudfoot. Our girl. Yay for the bumblebutt. They are very funny and silly and always make me laugh. Interesting material slash stories. Two told brilliantly and also refreshing. Also refreshing. <laughs> why can't I say fuck? Refreshing? Refreshingly. Oh. Also refreshingly on PC, though there are moments that catch me out. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go, boys. Settle in. Cody is particularly present to listen to. Imagine a teddy bear that has came to life. There is... <laughs> That there in his voice. Sorry, <laughs> Cody. And she told me I should try out for Pixar films. So. <laughs> I told her I'm sending them cocksuckers an email. <laughs> I'm going to get on a Pixar movie. Number one goal. So, a, so I guess morbid teddy bear. I'll embrace it, and that's fine. Yeah, I, I told good. her I love it. I, it's, Hell yeah. it's awesome. I couldn't quit laughing about yeah. it. So thank Cody's you. Cody's about that life. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's so cool that we have some access to our European reviews now. I know. Now we got to beg if we want Canadian and all that. Why does iTunes do this? I don't. I it's don't bogus because, it of course, we want to like recognize who's yeah, been no showing shit. us love. I know. I don't. Why don't they just put it on one? I don't get it. It's fucking dumb. They it have is. all the metrics. Why not I, let us have access to? Them? Well, they can't even make a proper fucking app. So I know. Fucking, yeah, I'm that's fucking. very true. <laughs> so with all that Apple bashing out of the way, thank you very much, everybody, for listening to another episode. Thank you, Jordan. 
Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. And thank, thank you, you Cody. Thank you, everyone out there for listening. And I want you to do something for me special this week, okay? Uh-oh. I want you to hug Mama. Mm. I want you to hug Grandma. Mm. And I want you to have a good weekend, unless it's Tuesday. I like that one. Extra special. I'm going to pinch out your bottom. <laughs> The streets, the kids have been let down, we all need to eat, and being unemployed, it won't provide a feast, so I need a fucking MP to represent.